All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is John Hamer. Last week, we talked about some suspicious elements to the Soham child murders. But this week, we're going to talk about a book he published in early 2012. The title of the book is The Falsification of History, Our Distorted Reality. It's available on Amazon here in the U.S., also in the U.K. He's had excellent reviews for the book, uh, about 45-star reviews here in the States and 200 uh, for the U.K. readers. But it's a very dense book. There's tons of information. It's an excellent book. I recommend it. And uh, we're going to just cover a few topics here in the hour that we have. John, are you there? I am, William. Awesome. Thanks uh, again for uh, agreeing to the interview. Congratulations on the book and its uh, its reception. I think maybe what we can do is just start, for people who didn't hear last week's show, is talk a little bit about your background and then what uh, inspired you to write this book, The Falsification of History. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, I spent most of my working life in the corporate world. I was a, an IT consultant, um, various jobs in the IT industry, until I was made redundant in about 2001, I believe it was. And I'd sort of always been interested in uh, conspiracy theories, for want of a better word. I hate that term, but um, I, would, I was always that kind of a person. I've always been a bit of a rebel. And so... I didn't have a job, so I, I began researching and writing a little bit, and I wrote one or two articles just for my own benefit, and one or two got published on various websites. And eventually I, I, I came to the conclusion that I could stitch all these little articles together and, uh, and make a nice book out of them. And so I carried on writing and writing and writing. It took me about three or four years, but eventually I had enough material to fill quite a thick book, which the falsification of history is. And... Um, yeah, it just went from there. Um, so I really um, spent most of my time in the last sort of 18 years just just, just writing and researching and researching and writing. And uh, I've just sent my fifth book to the publishers this very week. Congrats. Uh, that's called uh, JFK, A Very British Coup, which is a, a new take on the JFK assassination. Well, it's maybe not that new, but it's... It's certainly different, and I've come at it from a completely different angle, um, the British angle, if you like, because um, I believe it was actually the British Crown that, that ordered the assassination, and by the British Crown, I don't mean what is commonly known as the British Crown, and that is the monarchy, but the British Crown is the, is the financial empire that em envelops the whole world, and I think it was very much a fact that, that Kennedy really upset those people. Right. So th that's what that book is about. And I've yeah. just this very morning started on book number six, oh. which is a companion to of history called The Falsification of Science. Awesome. Well, congratulations on completing the book on JFK. Yeah, I look forward Thank to reading you. that. And uh, yeah, if you follow, follow on to this book, it would be great. But it's interesting you bring him up because there's a significant portion of this book where you talk about so many murders, assassinations, in here in the U.S. that uh, typically are not discussed, at least in toto, not all together, and so many of them involved uh, the financial world, if not all of them, really, if yes. you talk about Lincoln <laughs> or JFK. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, my, my, my fourth book, which is Behind the Curtain, which, which, which is even bigger than The Falsification of History, it's two volumes, and both of them are bigger than The Falsification of History, so it's quite a sizable, sizable thing, and um, that really comes at it from the angle of that is the financial 
cartel, if you like, that controls the whole world. You know, not governments. It is the financial cartel. It's the financial cartel that picks governments because I think it was, was it FDR that said uh, presidents are selected, not elected? And he was absolutely right. And wasn't it one of the Rothschilds who said, I don't care who rules? I just, yes. Um, what was the direct, do you know the verbatim quote? Yeah, I, if you just give me one second, I can get it into my head. It was, uh, give me control of a nation's money, and I care not who makes the laws. Right, yes, exactly. And that was what, Baron Rothschild? Yes. One of the early ones, right. So you see this theme of their, of the financial elites really distorting the history. And so a lot of the patsies and things like that, even in the States, I, one thing that I never really considered was Theodore Roosevelt's ascent to power after McKinley was murdered by the lone gunman, you know, the same theme, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sure. so, you know, we forget, at least I do is, is you don't, one of the great things about the book is you just see American history in a way, you know, you put it all together. There's so much uh, information in the book that, you know, it's really remarkable to see our history and how many attempted assassinations, assassinations, strange things going on. Wendell Mandel yeah. House or whatever his name was is, is uh, involved yes. with Trotsky. You know, yeah, so you forget, like, Trotsky came out of uh, here in New York, destroyed Russia, so. Correct. I mean, the, one of the chapters, I think you probably, this is one they're probably referring to, is called Unelected Presidents of the U.S., and there are so many that weren't actually elected, but people don't realize it, that they either took the place of someone or, um, you know, there were people like Bush II. He was he was fraudulently elected, wasn't he, because of the, the vote rigging. Um, so there are, there are so many different presidents that you wouldn't imagine were actually weren't elected um, because of assassinations and because of various other things. Right. Um, Poisonings yeah. and strange things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have here. Jackson took a bullet to the chest and survived, yeah. and had a bullet behind his heart. But that was an assassination about him. He said, "Over my dead body, will I create a, you know, a bank, a bank of the U.S. run by somebody other than the people?" And they, he was exactly. a constant battle. I mean, crazy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that was one of the interesting aspects. But maybe what, what we can do is just you know talk about the the real prehistory and how. Even our origins and then the way we uh, look at ancient history is is a lot different than really uh, than what we're taught in school. Yeah, well, I believe, I believe so, obviously, yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of different elements to it, but I think I think it all comes back to. I mean, it depends how far you want to go back. I mean, I, in in the book, I go right back to, you know, the dawn of time before humanity, sort of thing. But it. Um, in, and funnily enough, the book that I'm writing, that I've started writing this very morning, uh, The Falsification of Science, that, that is how I've started that one as well. And I'm, what I'm covering is how the fact that even things like, I believe, the Big Bang, you know, for example, is just a theory. theory right? But it's made out as though it's absolute fact. You know, right. if, you, if you speak to any scientist or any man in the street, for that matter, and ask them how the universe came into being, they all quote the Big Bang almost verbatim as though... You know, it's subtle science, but it isn't. It's just a, it's just a theory that has been blown out out of all proportion, and people just accept it now as fact. Right. I, I would guarantee that if you did a poll in the street and you went up to twenty people, I bet a minimum of nineteen would say that that is how the universe came into being, and it'd probably be twenty. But I would say a minimum of nineteen. But it, it, it you know, it's not fact, and there are so many other elements to how things started that are not fact, but they just put there as though they're fact. Right. And, and 
and we just believe it because oh science says it so that's it right you could put the theory of evolution in there it's still a theory but people assume that that's the exactly. origin of species yeah and people don't realize how insubstantial the theory it is i mean i've got so many people slate me for actually saying that evolution is not a fact oh because the science is settled well no it isn't i'm sorry you know people think it is because it's just absolutely um you know it, it, it's thrust at us every, every you know right. tv documentaries you know national geographic the history channel smith smithsonian channel all all the documentary channels they all just talk about evolution and make programs about evolution and related topics as though it's a fact but it's far from settled and, and if you look at the other side of the coin which i would urge everyone to do if they, if they think i'm talking absolute nonsense now i would urge everybody to just do a quick google and look at the alternatives to evolution or should i say the contra arguments to evolution because there is so much stuff in there that is not fact but it's just assumed to be Right. It's just assumption. <laughs> right. No, it really is. I mean, but here's yeah. the thing is that it's part of the falsification where you're taught that at an early age. I think our first studies in evolution were grade school here in the States, you know, so you're getting, yeah. you're getting the indoctrination right away. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Darwin's origin of species, they never, they never follow on the, the, the main title of that book, which is, what is it? The battle, the, 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 the battle for the preservation of the, favored races in the battle for survival yeah. or something like that like it really has it was a... it was very much yeah i mean darwin was a eugenicist right um you know it, it's very evolution was very much based on his eugenics beliefs and uh right. and uh, what what a lot of people don't realize and I, I put this quote in the book actually is that darwin actually uh on his deathbed uh actually sort of recanted it he said yeah, I can't remember the exact words, but the quotes in the book, he actually said that, um, you know, he, he didn't really believe that it was possible that evolution was a fact, or words to that effect. I've sort of paraphrased right. it, but cause I can't remember the exact quote. But, um, right. yeah, so even Darwin wasn't convinced, you know. Yeah, and if you extrapolate that, you can look in, like Freud was unquestionable at a certain time here in the States. You know, his was science, and now he's been de mm. debunked. So there's definitely... Uh, science, fashionable science, you know, at different eras exactly. or times in, in human history. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, and then, you know, after evolution, obviously, that you know, that's what science tells us, that's where we came, we all came from, you know, um, you know, out of the primordial slime and the, or the soup or whatever they want to call it, um, you know, the first single-celled creatures appeared and then step by step over millions of years, billions of years, we turned into, you know, what we see today the human being but uh, again when you look at that in more detail and when you get genuine scientists who've actually investigated that they really realize that uh you know it's supposed to be done by mutation but what they don't tell you is that there are no good mutations okay right. or very few good mutations most mutations are bad news Interesting. okay so it would actually have taken a lot more than billions of years to turn a piece of pond slime into a human being it's just the whole thing is just a complete farce from top to bottom yeah i know it's and, remarkable and they know there's never been a kind like uh, alligator has come out of a hippo's womb or you know there's, there's exactly. you know nobody's ever seen that in human history there's no recording granted no. human history no. is very brief comparatively to the universe but still 
Yeah. There's nobody in Greece history saying, wow, these creatures then morphed into another creature. They've adapted, right? So Galapagos Island, you see the lizards have adapted, but they haven't changed, which is remarkable, right? So they haven't turned into fish. Oh, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, that's where we have to distinguish, and this is where people don't do this, probably because they're not aware, but we have to distinguish between what's called microevolution and macroevolution. Microevolution is just what you've just described, and that is minor adaptations over time to, to benefit that creature. For example, you know, a, 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 I can't think of an example, but you, I think you get the gist. Right. Uh, minor, minor modifications that improve that creature's chance of surviving. Okay, those do take place, and, I, and no one in their right mind denies that. But what they do deny is macroevolution, and that is one species turning into another. There is absolutely no record of that at all. And again, Darwin himself said there is no record in the fossils of right. halfway house creatures. You know, well, what there is that a record halfway between one species and another. Right, but what there is a record of Sorry? these creatures existing over millennia, right? So they're the same; they don't yes. change. But there's no record. Exactly. So yeah. Um, yeah, I look forward to reading that book too. Because, that's awesome. Yeah, so yeah, so I mean, the natural question from that: well, if we didn't evolve, where did we come from? And I don't, I don't answer that question because I can't, and no one can. Right. We, no one knows where we come from. I mean, obviously, religious people believe that we were created by God. Some people believe that we were created by a higher intelligence, and I'm sort of tending to fall into that category myself. Um, but. Right. There is no real answer to it, is there? And, we'll, and the debate will just go on and on for centuries, I suspect. <laughs> right, or or panspermia, we receded from other yeah, places exactly. in the universe or whatever. Yeah, this is what I meant by a higher intelligence, yeah, absolutely. Right, gotcha. yeah. Um, but uh, one of the interesting aspects of your book that, you know, I, I like that section where uh, about how, you know, the Columbus myth is really a falsification of the reality of the new and old worlds. Yeah. And that... Uh, you know, I didn't know anything about this uh, comet of 562 or the brother of King Arthur supposedly, uh, you know, coming to the States. And there's evidence. And there have been archaeological digs that are inexplicable here in the States where they find Hebrew lettering and things that are kind of washed away from, you know, standard uh, yes. school teachings. But maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Well, the, the comet that you refer to, I mean, not, not many people do know. I mean, it's only, I think it's just starting to be accepted now, now by mainstream science. And the reason that it was, sorry, I'll, I'll start at the beginning. The comet of 562 AD, so, you know, almost 1500 years ago, there was a massive comet, comet that hit the earth and it, and it left a trail of devastation from the north of Norway in the north and, and a diagonal line through Great Britain across the Atlantic Ocean down into South America and it left huge swathes of damage and it killed, well nobody knows how many people were killed because there were obviously no records kept in those days, but it must have killed thousands and apparently it made Great Britain uninhabitable for many decades, you know, several decades. And the few survivors, the the land was just devastated, it just turned it, it, you know, fertile green land that Britain is or was into mud basically and um, molten rock and so a lot of the survivors apparently went to France which is just a short hop across the channel but some went across to America to the States or what, what would become the States and one of those allegedly was King Arthur's brother 
And the reason why King Arthur is not recorded in history as being a fact uh, and only a legend is because is because of religion, basically. Because in the Christian religion, it was against the teachings, against the scriptures, to say that rocks could fall from the sky. Oh. So for something like 1,400 years, up until the middle of the 19th century, it was forbidden to actually discuss anything about rocks falling from the sky. So hence, there was never any record of the comet and all the other bits, bits of history surrounding that were, were erased, you know, were, 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 were popped down the memory hole, as, right. uh, as it says in 1984. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, King Arthur's brother came to America, apparently. Uh, he settled in Kentucky and he lived there for about uh, 20 years, I believe. I might have got that figure wrong, so don't quote me on it. But, um, yeah, and and it's believed that his descendants, obviously he didn't go on his own, he took a, a party of people with him, and it's believed that his descendants formed the... Mohican Indian tribe, and they were the descendants of King Arthur's brother. Remarkable, yeah. And but yeah. didn't wasn't and, there some writing that uh, was similar to Welsh writing that that indicated? Yes. Right. Well, King Arthur was actually a Welsh king. Uh, he lived in the area now known as Wales. I mean, I think it was then as well, actually, but I can't remember the actual actual date when Wales was became a separate entity. But um, yeah, so. The Welsh at that time used an alphabet called Colbren, spelled C-O-E-L-B-R-E-N. And there's a lot of evidence for that still in archaeological findings in Wales. And also that exact same alphabet was found in Kentucky. And there's an American guy um, whose name escapes me, but again, it's in the book. And he did a lot of research and his research actually matched up with um, the the British researchers who found all this stuff out and they met and compared notes and everything matched and, and hooked up together. So it really, you know, it sort of, it constituted proof that this was the case. Yeah. And like the guy is the, is the uh, chairman or the founder of the Kentucky Historical Association, something like that, but I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. They have uh, here in the States, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Kennewick man who uh, looked vaguely kind of European and, it still mm-hmm. is a huge issue. It happened in Washington where they found this very well-preserved uh, human being in mud that looked European. Really? And, yeah. yeah, look up the Kennewick, man. If you, if you find it, and there's, this is one of many stories of the states where they find remnants of kind of civilizations that don't fit into present-day understandings. Yeah. But so, the Kennewick, man, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they actually suppressed it. Uh, a lot of the Native American, indigenous Americans, didn't want to acknowledge him because he didn't look like the present-day indigenous people. Right. And, yeah, uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and there's also been remnants of the Ainu people who were way back, like ancient two, 3,000 years, that existed in Japan all the way through Alaska, all the way through yeah. the Northwest, bearded. Okay. Uh, and they still have remnants that are still around, this kind of strange... Uh, tribal class, class. So there's been st- uh, stories of of these rituals that are vaguely Christian that people explorers found. So there's all yeah. kinds of very multi, you know, level things going on in the states before Columbus showed up. And you talked about the Vikings discovering Vineland, Vinland. I think they called yeah. it. So yeah. So it's uh, yeah. So so to answer the original question or the original point yeah columbus did not discover america in fact he never set foot on the american mainland columbus i think he only reached the um, was it puerto rico and the west indies yeah. he never actually set foot on the american mainland columbus 
Yeah, good point. Yeah. yeah, and you made that point. Yeah, it wasn't really discovery. It was uh, new lands for Spain. New Spain called it. They called yes. it New Spain until yes. they had their colonial insurrection. Um, of course, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and it was political, of course, and that's why that's why history gets falsified for political reasons. And that's that's the theme that runs constantly through the book. It's political expediency. That's why history is falsified. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and then you, you talk about these other kind of false flag events. There were so many of them, like we kind of the modern day man heard years about, you know, the, the Reichstag fire, 9-11. But there's been these types of strategic false flag events going all the way back to the gunpowder plot and all these things really in kind of, uh, you know, post medieval history. Yeah, I mean, just about just about every sort of major incident you can think about through throughout history. I'm, I'm not saying all of them, but I would say many of them are, um, you know, what, what we refer to as false flags. Um, and uh, you know, again, it's all about political expediency. Uh, do, do you want me to explain for the benefit of the listeners, those who might not understand what a false flag is? Absolutely. Or? Why don't you go into that and talk about some of the things that happened there in the UK? Um, trying to, you know, demonize Catholics. Like even today when you watch V for Vendetta, it's really about the gunpowder plot, but um, your okay. interpretation of that is different than the common understanding. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, okay, the false flag, for those who, who uh, have not come across the term before or don't, or don't understand what it means, it's, uh, it's an operation that takes place, usually by a government, not always, but usually by a government, um, that's designed to fool the victims into believing that it was carried out by totally different entities. So, for example, uh, a good example of a false flag would be the, um, let me think of a, well, there's lots of good examples of false flags, but, uh, okay, 9-11, typical one. 9-11 was a false flag because it, we were told it was carried out by 19 Muslims with box cutters who, um, you know, broke the U.S. security service, uh, U.S. security net that uh, covers the entire country and is probably the most secure airspace in the world. Uh, we were told that it was, uh, that those planes were hijacked by those people. But in actual fact, it was done by entities other than that. But we're told that it was those people so that they could demonize them and so that it would in, um, enable public opinion to be on the side of invading Iraq uh, a couple of years afterwards. Okay. So, you know, that that's an example of a false flag. It's it's carried out by an entity. It's said to be carried out by an entity other than those that have actually done it. And, and it originated but with the pirate flags because pirate ships used to fly the old skull and crossbones. And um, when they when they saw a victim, a, a ship that they were going to attack, they would pull down the skull and crossbones and they would put up another country's flag so that they didn't know that uh, they were pirates and they would blame that country. It's, you know, it, and, and these things have gone out on throughout history. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And can you talk about the gunpowder plot and why that was... Uh involved kind of an intelligence yeah. agent at that time and why they wanted to demonize the Catholics? Yeah, I'm not sh I'm not sure. Uh, do American audiences know what the gunpowder plot is? Well, I'm, like I said, I'm I think they're sure. familiar with uh, Guy Fawkes. They see the Guy Fawkes mask. Yeah. Supposedly this okay. guy who was a Catholic sympathizer took a bunch of, of gunpowder and we're going to yeah. blow up uh, the British Parliament. Yeah, and absolutely. Well, yeah, okay. So they're, they're, so, I think they're generally familiar, yeah. 
that that was that was in 1605. What what had happened just prior to that? Uh, Queen Elizabeth the first had just died a couple of years before, and uh, her nephew um, James the first, who was the son of Mary Queen of Scots, a famous historical figure who most people have heard of, he ascended to the throne. Now he Mary Queen of Scots was a Catholic. And so was he. He was a Catholic. But the, and at that time, the, the England was totally Protestant. And again, we have to be aware of the historical background to all that, because it, it, it was England between the mid 16th century, the mid 1500s and the mid 1700s or the early 1700s went through a series of what are called through a schism, if you like, where um, the, the country was really divided right down the middle either Protestant, you're either Protestant or you're Catholic. Catholics were the minority, Protestants were the majority. But the, the power seemed to pass from one hand to the other. And then every time the, you know, the dominant religion was in power, they would persecute the other one. So this was going on for, for a couple of hundred years or 150 to 200 years. This constant persecution and massacres of, of people who just happened to support the wrong religion. Okay, so the majority of the country were Protestant at the time, 1605 we're talking about, and James I was Catholic. Now, uh, he, although he was Catholic, he purported to be a Protestant, right? And what the, country, what the government wanted to do was to demonise Catholics to get people on the side of James okay because he 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 was a protestant to all intents and purposes although being brought up catholic but the, the country thought of him as a catholic and they wanted and the government wanted James to be accepted by the public so I believe what happened is not just my belief I mean other researchers as well um I don't claim that it's all my work again this is a a false flag event where to demonize Catholics, whereby a group of men, including Guy Fawkes and several others, um, about five or six others, um, were enticed into uh, trying to blow, allegedly trying to blow up the Houses of Parliament with barrels of gunpowder, as you say. And unfortunately, it was a, it was a setup from the beginning. The government knew exactly what was going on because they, they'd instigated the plot, unknown to the plotters. They were just given the wherewithal and the tools to do it. And then, of course, they were caught in the act. Um, and that uh, completely, um, uh, shall we say, um, made, it, it made the Catholics look bad. It, you know, So it, it was to boost the Protestant religion and to make James appear like a hero because, you know, he and his government had thwarted this, this nasty Catholic plot and all these bad Catholics had to be hung, drawn and quartered, the ones that survived. And, uh, you know, that, that's what it was all about, really. So, it, again, it's all about political expediency. Right. And, and uh, I think you said that it was, what is it, uh, James's intelligence aide, Robert Cecil, was kind of the yeah. brain behind it? It was, gotcha. yeah. And yeah. uh, so, so that was something that solidified James, and then he went on to write the King James Bible, a book on witchcraft. Yeah, so very. Yeah, and obviously uh, James was a, was a Freemason as well, which uh, and uh, a 
I wrote a, I don't think it's in the book, but I wrote a, a piece afterwards about how the King James Bible, which was published in 1611, was like a Freemasonic Bible. Interesting. Um, it was, yeah, it was written by James, and it's full of Freemasonic references, and even the original Bible, the original printing of the Bible, had Freemasonic handshakes in the in the margins and things like that, and mm-hmm. and Freemasonic embol, emblemism. And that, so, that's something that kind of is a strong strain running through, you know, the House of Windsor, so-called House of Windsor. Yes. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Was James, was James part of the Saxe-Coburg-Gotha? I don't think he was, right? No, no, he, uh, James was a steward. Steward, gotcha, okay. But still, I would say that, I guess the, the royalty there in England has a strong strain of Freemasonry. Yeah, I mean they run it basically. Uh, they got the got the current head of free, Freemasonry worldwide is the the Duke of Kent, which I think is the Queen's cousin or second cousin or something. Uh, yeah, so yeah, they're up to their eyes in it. Yeah, without well, a doubt. There's another uh, false flag you talk about, Jack the Ripper, which is actually a cover story for another Freemasonic thing that author <laughs> yes. Alan Moore covered, both the gunpowder plot, gunpowder plot, and. Yeah. The Ripper case, and Crowley came up in your book, so as somebody who was kind of semi-biographer of Crowley, you know, it made me stand up, but I don't know if you know, but there is a sequence of Crowley, there was a woman by the name of uh, Betty May, who was at Crowley's magical house, and Crowley took out the so-called, um, not you mentioned the letters, but he had these ties that he said belonged to uh, the commit person who committed the Ripper murders. So oh, Crowley, really? yeah. So I'll send you that. Yeah, that please. Reference. It's very interesting. But uh, so there is a tie. You said he lost the letters, but maybe that would be an interesting story about how um, these false stories are made to cover up the reality of what's underneath the surface. Exactly. I keep using the phrase, but yeah, it's all political expediency, and and it's about the people at the top, uh, further, constantly further in their agenda. And uh, you know, moving things forward and hiding that fact, and you know, that's that's really what it's all about. So maybe you can explain that, like most people, I think today believe the Ripper was a independent murderer <laughs> who was interested in in hurting women. But I, your um, analysis yeah. is much different. It is. Um, it's a very quite a convoluted story. So I'll, I'll do my best to keep it as brief as I can. Um, yeah. Um, it started off, obviously the, the Ripper murders took place in 1888 um, in London, and they only, last, they, they only lasted about three months or something like that. So it wasn't that it went on for years and years and years. It, it, it was just three months. And how it all began was that um, the grandson of Queen Victoria, who was on, on the throne at the time, um, and he was the son of her eldest son, he was the eldest son of her, her eldest son, so eventually he would have become king, and he was called Prince Eddie. Um, he was called Prince Edward, but everybody called him Eddie. Um, uh, so he was born, because I, I believe, because of in, in, inbreeding in the royal family, which is rife. He was born slightly subnormal, mentally. And um, they... They tried to, shall we say, shield him from the general public. So, that he, although people were aware at the time that he was that he was around, he wasn't really involved in society and that kind of thing. But so they tried to find 
things for him to do to keep him out of harm's way um, or to keep him away from the the general public. So they hired a guy called, um, oh my goodness. Sickert? Sickert? So yes, Walter Sickert, who was an artist, a famous artist at the time, to uh, sort of mentor him and give him uh, painting lessons and generally just sort of be his companion, if you like, and look after him. Um, and this he did, but he also introduced him to the more sort of sleazy side of London, um, prostitution and all that kind of thing. And Eddie ended up visiting a uh, a male brothel. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was all sorts of things went on. So, uh, so again, the, the royal family were trying to hush all this up. And um, Walter Sickert actually employed as as a uh, the maid of some kind, a lady by the name of Annie Crook, who was a, just a young girl at the time, and Eddie fell in love with her and married her clandestinely. Okay, nobody knew about it, and to boot, she was a Catholic. That old phrase again, because again, for the benefit of people who don't know this, but Catholics, uh, but but British. The British royal family is not allowed to marry Catholics, or shall we say, you cannot ascend to the throne as a Catholic. Even to this day, you've got to, you've got to be Protestant. I think that may have changed just lately. I'm not sure. Um, so Eddie had gone out and surreptitiously married this common working girl who was not only that was a Catholic, but she was also expecting his child as well. So. Um, You'll have to forgive me. I'm, <laughs> What's I'm, I'm just trying to remember the exact well, sequence of events. It's Basically, um, the royal family wanted to cover it up, so they sent out these guys, one of them who was a sophisticated uh, doctor, and basically hunted down yeah. her and a bunch of other women, yeah. and they made it Masonic. And yeah, and the reason, the reason that they did that, right, was because the girl, the, Annie Crook and her friends, she had a few friends, and they actually, uh, because Ed, Eddie and her were separated, so Annie Crook was stupid enough to make a threat to the royal family, and that threat was that she would blow the whole thing wide open publicly unless she got her demands. Okay, so basically she was blackmailing the royal family. So, as you say, uh, what happened next was that they, the royal family, through the Masonic connections, through the Masonic Lodge that they're all part of, which is connected to one of the palaces in London, um, decided to make a, uh, an example of them. So it was a Masonic ritual that they, they went through um, where they hunted and killed these these five girls. And all these five girls that were killed were Annie Cook, Crook's friends. Okay. And uh, they did it, uh, the way that they were all killed was very Masonic. The, that is, the chests were slit. I'm sorry if this sounds a bit gory for some people, so please switch off if you don't want to hear the rest of it. But they, they, they slit them from groin to chin, opened up the, the chest cavity, uh, removed the organs, laid them about in a ritualised manner uh, around the body and through the intestines over the left shoulder. And apparently that was exactly how uh, uh, someone called Hiram Abiff was murdered in Masonic legend in Solomon's Temple, and which is like the very basics of Freemasonry. Right. So we know that it was a Freemasonic free plot. There's no question about that. But of course, that will get covered up because the powers that be don't want you to know stuff like that. Um, so 
So it's a yes. message to the other Masons. They know exactly what's going on. The public doesn't know. And then there's exactly. a fake story. So it's a, it's a kind of a false flag. Everything's yep. covered up. Eddie, Eddie's yep. the, you know, doesn't have a child to the throne. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and the, the upshot of it was that Eddie was locked away and uh, the public was told that he was dead that he died of pneumonia or something, I can't remember exactly what, but in fact, he was locked away in a castle in Scotland. And, uh, yeah, and as part of that deal, it was actually the, the the Queen's mother, the current Queen's mother, mother's father, who owned that castle, and part of the deal for Eddie being locked away there and hidden away there was that his daughter, who was Elizabeth Bowleon, uh, and became the Queen Mother, uh, our Queen's mother, uh, would marry into the royal family, would oh, marry the heir to the throne. And that's exactly what happened. Fascinating. Yeah, and they've uh, there's been other covers up with the royal family. I mean, if you want to get into Princess Diana's death, that's another uh, ritual, strange ritualized false Absolutely. flag, bunch of lies, bunch of people died around her death too. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, I always think Princess Diana, the princess, killing of Princess Diana, other than the method that was used to actually dispose of her, it's very similar to JFK actually, because she upsets so many different factions. She upsets so many different uh, powerful entities. Uh, you know, it, it was just incredible, and that's exactly what happened with JFK. Of course, I mean, right. he he got on the wrong side of so many different people. Everybody, yeah, everybody wanted yeah. him dead. <laughs> yeah, because he, he, was his own man. he was his own man, and he and he, you know, he wasn't going to be bullied into being a, a president who who took orders from you know his handlers, handlers um, CIA, yeah. Defense Department, all that stuff, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, interesting. Exactly. He died on the same day Huxley died and C.S. Lewis. November 22nd, I didn't know that. 19, yeah, 1963. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you, the thing is, is you cover so many stories of these fake, you know, fake history that uh, once you're done with the book, it's just like our history is just like what Napoleon said. It's bunk, you know. We, yeah. We're taught a fake view of reality a cover story after cover story after cover story you know yep yep and that phrase again political expediency that's what it's all about if you just think that and it's all about agendas and it's all about the same agenda that's been going on for for hundreds of years that is constantly being moved forward moved forward till we get i believe what will happen eventually or what they're trying to make it happen eventually We'll live in a, t a complete totalitarian state, and that's what we're moving to. With things like the EU, you know, that that is a completely totalitarian organisation. Um, it's it's totally, you know, the, the 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 leadership of the EU is totally unelected. All the the uh, the members of the European Parliament are elected, but the actual hierarchy, the council that governs it, totally unelected. It's it's modelled on the Soviet Politburo. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. I mean, you can see that's why the UK wants Brexit is really about self-determination, just at a basic level. You know? Of course it is. Of course it is, yeah. Uh, but so many people are brainwashed by, you know, the, all these so-called remainers, in inverted commas, you know, in, in quote marks, these these people are, are, are brainwashed into believing that, you know, the world's going to end if uh, 
if we if we leave the EU, and it's just absolutely it's incredible what it's these incredible. people believe. I mean, well, when you, know. you when you think about it, you're part of an experiment of the EU that's not very old, and the UK has governed itself for hundreds of years. So it's pretty remarkable that people exactly. are afraid to go back towards self government. I don't, whatever, that, that's a head scratcher yeah, for we, me. We get- we're just absolutely saturated with all this what what I call fear porn, and that is all this fear fear mongering. You know, like I say, oh, the world's going to end. not quite as bad as that. That's an exaggeration. But they say that you know, oh, our economy will collapse. You know, we, we won't have any markets to to uh, you know, all our exports will fail. The country will be isolated. Blah blah blah. It's all this massive just hype and fear and it's all coming from the establishment as well you know from entities like the bbc which is just the propaganda arm of the british government um you know the government itself from obviously from europe there's a lot of slush being thrown around from europe itself and you know of course they control the airwaves they control the presses so it's so difficult to actually divest yourself from it and uh, you know if 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 the if the people who wanted to leave the EU had as big a voice as the people who want to remain, you know, it would easily be, right. <laughs> be a case of, that's it, guys, we're right. going. We're out of here. But, but I mean, weren't, weren't, yeah. do you feel like the British public was sold a, a line that was propaganda just to get into the EU? You know, that was supposedly going to be this great work of freedom, no war. And now you just kind of have open borders and chaos, chaos and yeah. a lot of problems. Yeah, it's just, like I say, it's part of the ongoing agenda and that agenda, that the ultimate aim of that agenda is a, is a world totalitarian government, a one world government, um, completely under the control of a tiny elite few sat at the top. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, you, you include a section on the Georgia Guidestones, this whole... And that, yes. that ideology is right there, you know, we're going to minimize... Yeah, they tell, us, they tell us what they're doing, yeah. but, you know, people don't believe it still, you know. Again, that's covered in the book, the Georgia Guidestones, and anyone who's not heard of, heard of that phrase, the Georgia Guidestones, I would urge them to, to Google it, because it's, it's incredible what, you know, what it actually states on these stones. It's like a modern-day stone engine in America, right. and uh, it, it, it actually lays out you know the the guidelines for for this what what's come to be known as the new world order or this totalitarian order that that is is coming or that yeah. they hope is coming yeah and somebody who created it, it was lovingly created with you know all kinds of uh astrological co- coordinates yeah. tied into it uh it's made out of granite um yeah and i mean i think if i remember the person who who paid for it used a Rosicrucian name, or like a cover name, right? R.C. Christian. R.C. Christian, right. yeah, absolutely, that's the guy. Or supposedly, yeah. I mean, the front is probably wasn't, I mean, it's probably very convenient that it was just one person. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, it, no, it was obviously done by, um, you know, by the by the elite cabal who, uh, who rule over us with a rod of iron, but let remain unseen in the background, right. without a doubt, yeah. Is there, I mean, we're here at the 45-minute mark, it's passed okay. fast. I mean, we've, we've covered some territory. Is there anything else that you would like to cover in regards to your book, or do you want to re-mention uh, this JFK book or anything that we missed? Um, yeah, I'll, 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 I can't think of it. There's so many things in falsification of history, it's difficult to know which one to pick out of so, so many. Book, you know. yeah. um, I'll, I'll just mention the, the JFK book again briefly, if I may. As, sure, as I said... 
as I say, um, it's just gone to the publishers this week, and I should get the first draft back next week. It'd probably be available next month, I guess, uh, so sometime in April. Uh, I'll obviously let you know, William. But, cool. but, but as I said before, it's really about, uh, it's coming from the angle of, of course, we know that JFK ups, upsets so many different factions, you know, the mafia, the CIA, the FBI, you name it, um, you know, pro-Cuban activists, anti-Cuban activists. Um, Johnson. Johnson, yes. Johnson, of yeah. course. He was, a, he was a big factor in it. Um, but when you follow all those little pyramids, you know, up to the, the apex of all those pyramids, there is one entity that stands out, and that is the British Crown. Because, again, this may come as a, a surprise to some people or even a shock. Or even people may think I'm talking nonsense, and that, that's obviously their prerogative. But... The British Crown still controls the United States. Okay, so the War of Independence. Still... The War of Independence was a sham. Yeah, um, it's provable. It's not. It's not. Um, you know, it's just not just mere speculation on my part. Um, so I believe that. And again, that's something to Google. If, if people, you know, if that's new information to people, then then please, by all means, do look that up and uh, and please prove to yourself that I'm not going insane. Um, well, I look to I look forward to your points in your book to make to prove that point. I, I think that yeah. would be interesting. Okay. There's definitely very strong influence on the United States from the UK, no question. From the top, I mean, from the royalty, not just yeah, culturally. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the book, I talk about a little bit about the city of London, which is, and by the city of London, I don't mean London, the city. There is an air, a square mile area in the centre of London called the city, and that is a separate state just like uh vatican. washington dc yeah. just like vatican it has its own laws it has its own police force it has its own economy even uh, it's just people don't know because it's not widely publicized for obvious reasons but that square mile in the city of london which by the way houses the head offices of something like 270 banks uh, including U.S. banks. People may think the head offices of U.S. banks are in uh, Wall Street. No, I'm sorry. The head offices of a lot of them are actually in the city of London. It is the fin- it is the world financial empire, and from there it controls the Bank of International Settlements, the World Bank, and every central bank in the world. Is yeah, controlled they still, they the still reference the LIBOR rate, the London Interbank Offering Rate. Is still, exactly. all banks yeah. in the world reference that. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, and like I say, it's the financial capital of the world. This is true. And the book is JFK, A Very British Coup. Um, yeah. This book that we discussed, and briefly, it's such a great book. There's a lot of information there. I highly recommend people uh, get it. It's definitely worth, uh, worth the money. The Falsification of History. Our Distorted Reality, John Hamer. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you, William. It's been my pleasure. Have a good one. All right.